gathered here today to listen to a dwarf cast by Ganymede and Titan. Start the tape, please, Holly. Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to what can accurately be described as a very special uh, Ganymede and Titan dwarf cast in that uh, we started doing these podcasts 14 years ago in sort of late 2006 uh, with the aim to record commentaries for every single Red Dwarf episode that existed at that time. And it only took us 14 years (laughs) to finally get to that point. Uh, And we are now recording the last of the Red Dwarf commentaries for the BBC era. It's not our fault that um, several more episodes have been made since, which means that we're still not actually finished. But (laughs) nevertheless, we'll take this little milestone. Uh, So joining me, Ian Symes, on this happy, happy day are Jonathan Capps. Hello. And Danny Stevenson. Hello. And the thing that I usually mention before that is the episode in question is Series 3, Episode 2, Marooned. Uh, So if you want to watch Marooned with us, uh, then you should press play on your copy after these pips. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv Ah, Red Dwarf 3. A good series of Red Dwarf. Yeah, I always really like the kind of halfway house that this is, that it's obviously it's the new intro, but with that slow shot of Red Dwarf at the start with the, just the engine noise rumbling along. Yeah. It's kind of a little bit of the, the majesty of series 1 and 2 and then the fresh excitement it's, of series it's, 3. Imagine, imagine not knowing. I, I can't, it's weird because I don't ever have a memory of not not knowing about that intro because I think that's the first series I knew about. So to have that sort yeah. of like mm. that that start and then all of a sudden for it to just completely crash through with a new version of the you'd of think it all gone to shit, wouldn't you? You'd be like, oh, what the fuck have they? Done? I just think <laughs> it'd be like, oh my god, this is so cool! Like the guitars and everything just going absolutely crazy. I just I love the idea. Tardis, this is the bit where you can just about see the Tardis. Is that on this series? I thought it was series five. That oh bollocks! Ignore that. We'll edit, <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> um, am I right in thinking, like, because obviously the most important thing to talk about here is the is the model shot at the start of the titles, but the the mm. moment where the um, retros kick in and the music starts is a slightly different point each time. It's like it was manually done. I think so, and I, I wondered whether that was like to do with episode length. Oh yeah, like, if, it, if it if it's under running by a few seconds, just added an extra <laughs> yeah, few seconds of got, engine noise. Got a bit of flab you can cut at the start. <laughs> Anyway, yes, this is quite the classic episode, I think it's fair to say. It's uh, number two in the Pearl Poll, which is basically the best that any episode that's not Back to Reality will ever be. Yeah. Uh, it was number two in the Pearl Poll. It was number two the uh, the time before in the Silver Survey as well. Uh, comfortably the best Series 3 episode by some distance. Yeah, it's yeah. It's brilliant. The, comfortably the best Series 3 episode by some distance, and that's the Series 3. Series 3 is like... Is great. Yeah. <laughs> Polymorph times um, backwards. Yeah, I feel like backwards gets a bit of a kicking, but and yeah, it's virtually the whole like 
there's these little bookends at the beginning and end that have the other characters, but it is virtually a two-parter even then. It's like Crichton is literally only there for exposition. Yeah, which is a good uh, job. And really badly delivered. <laughs> yeah, because Robert, had not, is loaded, Robert yeah. Llewellyn had not found his character <laughs> at this point, it's safe <laughs> no. to say. Um, so, yeah. Crichton's rubbish. That CSO is rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is that is a, that is a really. If if it almost this episode almost feels like it's kind of the show's almost. I mean, this series as a whole feels like the actual production of it is kind of coming apart at the seams a little bit. Like they're bursting out of a a suit that they've got too fat for. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, <laughs> like like definitely. they're straining the studio and 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 it kind of gives it a kind of a cool feeling. Although I do find it amusing that after two seasons of. Um, of them complain, you know, of them having to go away from sci-fi stuff, and finally they get to stretch their sci-fi legs. The second episode is a two-hander. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that may as well not it's be sci-fi. <laughs> well, it is. It's the it's Red Dwarf's first, I think. I'm right in saying bottle episode, uh, because it was the first time that Red Dwarf was made, like with six episode slots instead of seven. So there was. Uh, there's never any need to do a bottle episode in the first two series, but yeah, this was a replacement for Dad ultimately. Yeah. Oh no, or was it? No. Or the last day was a replacement for Dad. Anyway. Interesting. I think I'm just wrong in everything I've said <laughs> so far today. Yeah, but you, you know, you, yeah, you're right. Like maybe it, it's the first time that maybe there's a kind of a more familiar structure of what a Red Dwarf series looks like, like the bottle episode. Yeah. Um. I think. Uh, I think. Technically, the last day was the replacement episode, but Marooned was also obviously made on the cheap. Yes. Uh, one set, like, and the re- the rehearsal time must have been really well spent because that's <laughs> all they had to concentrate on is yeah. you know the performances really. Yeah. It's directed differently to any other Red episode as well. Handheld stuff. All handheld. Oh. Which is which actually really sticks out. <clears throat> Yeah. Um maybe not in a way that you would say, Oh, that's weird, there's some handheld stuff there, but in a way that you think, you know, that episode's different, that episode feels different. Yeah. Um it feels right. Yeah, it does. Very And it's like it's only when you analyse it that you think why. Yeah. It, yeah. On first glance it just feels like you're really close and really intimate with these characters. It feels slightly flat on the wall. Yeah, yeah, it's candid. It yeah. feels slightly documentary, like sort of documentarian in a way, like in the way that it's, it's like someone is sort of just trying to what, like to like you say, like a slice of life kind of thing, just kind of like watching yeah. people's reactions in real time rather than you know. And it, it's not the case at the moment, but after they've crashed, I always get the feeling well, whenever you see a bit of a bit of handheld camera movement when after they've crashed, it feels like almost even the cameras are on like emergency backup. Like like yeah. like it's found okay. footage sort of a feeling like you know um, oh it's a scooter going it's a Sony then. camcorder going around <laughs> rather than their, you know big studio cameras like like they are themselves stranded like that's the kind of feeling it it gives me I think you're right because this this pre crash section is has definitely got handheld in there I, I can't tell whether it's a hundred percent handheld but either way it feels like the cameras are a lot steady they're a lot less dynamic they're a lot mm. more static. Yeah. Uh, despite being handheld, and yeah, there is a shift after the crash yeah. to a more dynamic style. I think also, I think it's to do with the the constraint of the sets as well. It might have been difficult to set, like because everything's set on this one little tiny bit of starboard. I imagine it was quite difficult to have maybe three or four cameras set up permanently. It was easier probably to have them 
a bit more mobile and have a bit yeah. more choice in terms of your your angles and and everything. Especially peds in those days, like they're big enough now, uh, camera pedestals. But in those days, were even bigger and bulkier. And yeah, yeah just trying trying to line up four of them <laughs> along this along this tiny yeah. set, <laughs> different angles, getting the maximum coverage. Ed by just went fucked up. I was going to say I can't wait um, for the quarantine commentary on this in a few weeks because. Yeah. Um, it'll be better than this commentary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'll be different. Because yeah. Ed, Ed loves going into like Ed loves his his work specifically his work, and um, <laughs> so he'll have a lot a lot of good stuff to say about this. I think. But again, like you really get the feeling with Ed, and they say this a lot as, uh, in there as well. That you know he'd he'd done basically fuck all um, directing. Um, comedy directing before Red Dwarf or not in any kind of meaningful way and uh, you really do feel like he's just kind of a bit of a punk rock sort of director just trying whatever the hell he wants yeah. to um, and it really fits the show perfectly that feeling and you, yeah you can you can see his influences as well and the things that he'd worked on as you know because he, he'd been a floor manager sure, which in, yeah. the, in these sort of studio sitcom days was the, the one step below the director uh, was the floor manager, uh, so he'd, he'd clearly he'd served his time and worked on various productions, and you can yeah. see those influences. And yeah, it's it's like all the ideas that he'd been cooking up over the years of, if I was doing it my way, this is what I'd do. He just unleashed them all on yeah. the dwarf. Perfect. And so it, it looked as if he came fully formed, but yeah, the experimental <laughs> nature of it and pushing the limits, really pushing the limits. You're right that in series three, like they'd already been pushing the limits of what was technically possible in series one and two. So then they they carried that on in series three, but then also added an extra layer of gloss to the production. Yeah. And and more ambitious in terms of its uh, location stuff and everything else. So yeah, they were really pushing what was possible on ancient equipment in a dilapidated Manchester oh, studio. We've just watched like really quite an impressive little sequence. Yeah. Um. Which actually isn't very bottly, is it? Um, no. <laughs> but the the behind the scenes like kind of shows that full that setup as they did it, and it's like presumably it looks like a kind of bit of the studio away from the main sets that they would specially built. Um, yeah. And wasn't it um, soap powder that they were using as snow? Yeah. <laughs> directly into Craig's eyes. <laughs> Shall we talk about the how pony <laughs> Rimmer's badges? Yeah, the Red Dwarf logo. Yeah, I mean it's still yeah, the, better than the uh, the first three million home. years logo, but um. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of weird homemade version where the font doesn't look like it's been done by computer. It looks like it's been no, hand it's been handmade. Hand hand yeah, but, but this even got so, well on his jacket. I mean, it's clearly the, the letters aren't coloured in properly. But maybe it's kind of like because there's also that weird variant it that's used on props uh the best place to see it is the curry is the chili powder at the start of uh, mm. polymorph uh the red dwarf ships issue chili powder that lister's using has a weird kind of it looks like a proto it always struck me as a prototype version of that logo right yeah where it's it's got an ellipse but it's not joined up and it's squashed and it's a different font and i wonder if both of those logos were Sort of working copies of the logo. Yeah, interesting. That's they, like, yeah. That they were they were planning because the logo was only introduced for this series. Mm-hmm. So maybe while they were shooting it, they were playing around with different versions and then settled on a slightly different, you know, the logo by the time it came to air. Yeah. But it's, on a fictional basis, it's not like 
the logo of the show turning up in the show is an interesting one. Isn't it? Yeah. Like, I guess it... Why would a mining ship have its own? Well, I think, yeah, that's the thing. So I was thinking about how, how does every ship have... Does every ship have their own? Does Blue Midget have one? Does Starbuck yeah. have one? Has someone made guess... an identity for every single ship and every single, you know, fleet of the JMC? But then they, they do in real life. Like, each individual... Apollo mission had its own logo, for instance. Very popular. Like, obviously, true. the, the okay. space shuttles have their own individual identities, their own logos. So, if it was a mission, so, if Red Dwarf was a mission, hmm. that could have been okay. Well, yeah, is it, can you can that. imagine it carrying over into civil space um, space stuff. You know, like NASA yeah. used to have a logo for every launch. So we have a, you know, you know, it's a tradition that carries on. We have a logo for every single one of our ships, even if it's Red Dwarf that has been in service for decades and is just going back and forth. Um, still has its own logo. They had a rebrand, the JMC. Yeah. <laughs> they've broken. <laughs> they refresh. I mean, they've moved to a different part of the ship, so maybe like, they've just they've found the place with all the kind of the fancy corporate, um, corporate branded stuff. <laughs> if, it, if it was the Dave era, then the JMC onboard computer would have received an upgrade <laughs> in between series two and three and downloaded all these new fonts and but styles. There's been a brand refresh. <laughs> everyone, everyone get on board with these new hex values. <laughs> I've just noticed like a lot of the camera angles on this when it's when they have crashed and stuff is very sort of like looking up at the characters rather than looking across yeah. and down. Yeah. It's all very sort of like obviously the camera were like knelt on the floor or just like you know and it does sort of give credence to the fact that it might have been like security footage or you know from a camera or a scutter with a camera on its head or something like that. <laughs> the- there are bits when like they move and the the, the camera movement doesn't. F- I mean, it might be, it might have been, but it doesn't feel like it's a planned camera movement. It feels like it's a, this actor's moving. I'll react to the mm. to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Which is how you know a, a reality show would be yeah. filmed. Uh, traditionally, in film theory, a low angle shot like the one on Rimmer at the moment uh, denotes power. So we, as the audience, are looking up. At Rimmer, you can like Citizen Kane is always the example that is used when I was taught of like at the start of the film when he's in his pomp, he's always shot from below, and then towards the end when he's you know yeah. he's less powerful as he loses his power, we we start to look down on him. Interesting. So maybe in this in this instance, Rimmer is is kind of fine. Like there's no peril for Rimmer in this. Yeah, and there's also he has suggestion. the power over the supplies to some yeah. to some degree. So it's like. It's interesting because I think in future ones, like in in the Promised Land, for instance, there would be a plot about Rimmer losing his battery power or something like that. But that, that's never introduced in here. This is purely the only one of them that's in danger is Lister. The kind of implication at this stage is that Rimmer will just stay there. Like if Lister dies, yeah. Rimmer will just stay there indefinitely until he gets found and brought back. That's a terrifying. Horrific. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose that then ties into a rumor world where you know he just goes slowly insane over like six yeah. years. It's, it's interesting is that power issues with Rimmer, you're right, were never were never a plot point until mm. after he was hard light, and I, it, it, you know what? As soon as he's there hard is... light, it's like all of a sudden it feels like he's taking up too much power, and like maybe in the you know late eighties, early nineties, worrying <laughs> about how much power has been used wasn't much of a, a thing in general. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there is a little bit just to uh, correct you like a knob because uh, people will in the comments don't demons and angels he has his thing uh, about him 
him losing power before the oxygen runs out. And okay, oh yeah, okay. As a, yeah, but you're a right in that it was later in the series yeah, yeah. that it became an issue. Like I don't think I don't think anyone paid much attention to the fact that he required power it was battery operated. Because it's only it's only this series that he's able to leave the ship without a hologram projection cage. Yeah, true. <laughs> I think they just gave up trying to work out the the ins and outs and the mechanics yeah. and just like oh fuck it, people are just not going to think about it that way. We're thinking about it. Yeah, time. and boy, were they wrong. I think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the philosophy would have been as I think once you get into this kind of series three, four, five, uh, I think because they'd done the first novel by this point and changed a few things in the continuity, those changes then uh, carried over into the series. I think this was around the stage where Robin Doug decided fuck it yeah with regards yep. to continuity and logic and, and rightly and just... so because otherwise you just get too you get too caught up in your own with your own backstory and your own yeah mythos and i think you can just you can get lost in that if you're not and then it exactly. just becomes quite boring and, and then where the jokes limit you from yeah if you're focusing yeah, it's on too limiting. Else. um but i think that at other times i think uh, i mean more recently in particular doug has cared more about continuity and has kind of dialed back on that a little bit not in any kind of explicit way mm. but you get the feeling that it was this specific time they said fuck it like whatever's the funniest that's what we'll do whichever makes more sense for this particular episode that's what yeah. we'll do Whereas I mean, Doug, now, Doug to tries to get things with series eight he basically just fobbed off series eight and went ah, fuck <laughs> it don't think about yeah it. yeah well it, it's not that he contradicted it <laughs> i guess it's, no it wasn't i suppose that... but he just he, he, he didn't let it he, just, he didn't let it he's, he is aware <laughs> that there's a continuity thing there he just yeah. Yeah. has chosen and not at, to at, answer at that this question. point they've written the books and they said okay the books are a separate continuity why can't series three i mean they basically say in the opening blurb this is a slightly different universe to series one and two yeah, you the know? same generation, nearly. The same generation, nearly. Yeah, and um, it—that's how. I mean, I don't think about it. it's not in the front of my mind when I think of that. But when you really think about it, you're like, yeah, okay, th- there is a shift here. Like they—they—they've moved into a different. They do try and explain why Crichton's there, and why Holly is mm. a woman. But but there's so many other things that just feel different about their situation, really, and even their characters. So they all like Lister and Rimmer both decided to change their look yeah. entirely <laughs> at the exact same point. <laughs> Starbug, it, like, is a big thing. Like, even at this early stage, where Starbug is obviously not as great a location as it would later be, and not as important to the show as it would later be, it does feel. I don't know, and I don't know whether this is just retrospect because we know that Starbug was was later an icon. But even now, this feels different to when they just were in Blue Midget in Series 2, which they just purely used ship to service. This is yeah. where it gets us to the plot. Yeah. The fact that Starbug is bigger, even though it gets bigger later, Starbug has this midsection, and there's a much more comfortable space for them to sit in and, and spend some time. It feels like a, a big change to the series. Yeah. It was, in fact, food. cat food. <laughs> What was the actual? Th- it was tuna, wasn't it? Tuna with like some jelly, yeah, like pork pie yeah. jelly, which actually, yeah, yeah I mean, fine to, to be honest, that's probably really tasty. <laughs> I could do with that in some white bread, oh, a bit of mayo. Oh, just dropped off. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> it's a good. Uh, it does that's a, that's a good slider the... image. That. <laughs> <laughs> it does still have the uh, cutaway 
to disguise him spitting it out. So even though it was just normal edible food, Craig didn't do his own stunts on that occasion. <laughs> no, he still spat no. it out. Weird. Yeah, it was a bit of a weird cutaway as well, isn't it? <laughs> it's like they had to it's skip a that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's a functional cutaway. It's like when um, when Rimmer knees Hollister in the bollocks, and it suddenly cuts to the wide so that you don't <laughs> see it. Yeah, and then uh, the the weirdest one that always comes to mind is in Faulty Towers uh, Gourmet Night, is it? Where the chef is pissed and yeah. uh, he throws up. Um, yeah. uh, but they chicken out of showing him throwing up, and so they just have a, a cutaway to someone. I can't remember whose it is, but I someone's think it's, reaction. Uh, I think it's Sybil. Sybil's reaction yeah, <laughs> to him throwing up, which makes no sense. We never see that shot before or after. Mm. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember that. Folly's House has been banned, hasn't it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Our history has been erased. <laughs> Hand carved by the legendary Dubois brothers, right? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Googled, so I saw on Twitter the other day someone mentioned that the Dubois brothers were a real thing. Let me just Google. Oh, well, not not just a name they but, got from um, someone who was on the that, crew. That was the thing. There was yeah. a there was a guy in the credits whose name I always mention because it's a weird name. Mario, Mario Dubois. Mario Dubois. That was it. The Dubois, the Dubois brothers. This is according to Wikipedia. Were a French Canadian organised crime group who operated mostly in Montreal in the fifties to the eighties. Okay. They were like the the French Canadian Cray twins. So it's happenstance <laughs> then, presumably. <laughs> I, I mean, like either, like like the name Dubois doesn't just come out of nowhere to a pair of Mancunian writers. <laughs> so either it's a deliberate reference to the organised crime group, the Dubois brothers, or they named it after Mario Dubois, who was I think unit manager or something on this series. I think it was, uh, I, and it's I, just I a coincidence. Yeah. Well, I know that Mario Dubois uh, still works for the BBC in Salford. Uh, he is something to do with. Uh, he's a commissioner or something along that those lines for oh, okay. CBBC. I think he he does uh, non scripted BBC a CBBC commissioner. Oh, good on him. <laughs> yes, company man. He's st- <laughs> and a city man. He's stuck around. <laughs> I've uh, I've worked with him kind of, and it has taken every ounce of effort not to just ask him <laughs> constantly about Red Dwarf every time I speak to him. You've asked him once though, right? Uh, we'll talk about this off air. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's, so there's a bit that we've just gone past. I'm not sure if it's exactly that bit, but there is a moment where I think it's when Rimmer goes over and kneels by the guitar. And there's a line of dialogue that's clearly a little bit too far away from the nearest boom mic. <clears throat> it's like sounds really distant, and again, that gives gives you the the kind of the weird, like handheld, like this is found footage, found footage, even slightly, though, slightly, yeah. Even though there's no way that was intentional. No, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's something that I discovered. When we did the video for the Pearl Pole Top of the Pops parody <laughs> countdown thing, I looked up as the thumbnail for this episode the video for She's Out of My Life by Michael Jackson. Yeah. And this is specifically a parody of that video. The composition of these shots and the way that it crossfades in a second between two different uh, lengths of uh, shots of Lister is what happens in the video. Oh, that's right. okay. amazing. It's. it's 
it's MJ just sat in a in an empty room by himself, and it's like two different angles of him crossfading against each other. What what pisses me off is the fact that his guitar strap is over the strings, and therefore you wouldn't even hear anything because it just sounds really dull. <laughs> <laughs> Keep the guitar still, man. It's impressive that he managed to get a perfect cutout. Oh, this as well. It's like, yeah. the amount of, like, again, like going to way too much trouble. Like, he literally cut out the tuning pegs. Like, who the fuck would bother? Yeah, and and he, um, he painted the uh, the wood where it had been cut as well because it was black <laughs> even on the inside. No, it's black all the way through. It's just, yeah, that's how you've got to think. It's... And also... No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Shit. It's a it strange out. coincidence that one side of Rimmer's trunk was just made out of plywood instead of camphor wood. <laughs> <laughs> I never mentioned that. <laughs> oh dear. It's a very unique moment for Rimmer here. Like he's actually genuinely like He really <laughs> wants an- to annoyingly. believe him, yeah, yeah, he does he, he does think the best of him, he just Gets it wrong. It's one of the things that <laughs> maybe he's beaten out of him because like there's another moment isn't there at the end of um Terraform where a kind of a glimmer of hope for him is kind of snuffed out <laughs> a bit yeah. at the end. It's like it's one of those is that you know you can kind of there's, yeah. There's moments in his life where he thinks he's got an actual friend. Yeah, he understands. <laughs> Feels like he understands people around him. Uh, has yeah. a common common ground, and then nah, nah. Some modicum of respect. <laughs> Which is important uh, I mean, for the character because it gives you a bit of context why he's a bit of a cunt. Yeah, and it's only kind of now, like literally the most recent episode, where Lister and Rimmer do seem to have come to terms with their relationship to some yeah. extent. And there was and no punchline. Yeah, there was no yeah. Rimmer punchline. There was actually yeah. a punchline against Lister at the end of that episode. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah they are definitely nowadays friends. Yeah. I think at this stage they weren't even remotely there. And it was incidents like this that stopped it from happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just kept fucking each other every document. Of all the of all the kind of the, the bits of Doug only Red Dwarf that I'm I'm not quite on board with. His rumor and Lister stuff is is almost always at least good and often excellent. Mm. Yeah. All I can think of in the latter part of that scene is my H has fallen off. <laughs> <laughs> this um, they're trying, Just... they're trying really hard. <laughs> oh look, here's other characters. <laughs> Very briefly, the cat, the cat gliding into shot there reminds me of the priest in um, the Christmas special, Father Ted Christmas special, that just was wheeled in on a trolley. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of Arthur Matthews' greatest um, <laughs> achievements. And they also do that with um, Mrs. Deneen in the uh, Owen McLove episode in the supermarket. <laughs> yes. like, and um, well, in this case, there is li- literally on a sled. <laughs> <laughs> in, in Father Ted, that's just how that character moves. It's just—it's weird because it doesn't really come across necessarily that it is a sled Im- immediately. Like because that's true, actually. Yeah. Is that the fact that he's saying mush to Crichton? You d- you need a wider shot. Yeah, you do. You need yeah. just a slightly wider shot to see like Crichton in chains or whatever. Even just hearing like a whip. That's <laughs> 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 an excellent cat uh, costume. Yeah, it is superb. 
Oh, it's real cat, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Does he only wear it in this episode? For like it must 30 be. seconds or so. Yeah, must be. Because it's used in a publicity shot. Of, like, There's a few famous publicity shots that I can think of where he's wearing the outfit, which presumably was shot you know, during this episode. There's a few from this. There was a great Lister and Rimmer shot that's in the midsection of Starbug, uh, which I assume is from this episode. Yeah. I also like Crichton's earmuffs. Yeah, it's, it's rare over the years that Crichton has accessories, but this is an early example. Yeah. In only you, second you like any, any sort yeah. of furniture that's on his face, it yeah. will amuse you. <laughs> Man of Honor, that's the, um, um, the singular title, of the original title for yeah. this episode. It's going to be Men of Honor. Waffle Men of Honor. <laughs> Save it. <laughs> bit of corpsing here, tiny bit just when he looked around there was a very very small smile from Chris I think I like the fact that he, do, he does one slow look at absolutely everything Clay, he looks at the cupboard, <laughs> looks at the trunk looks at the fire, does that really slowly and then does it all again very quickly just to double yeah, check yeah. He's, he's, playing, he's literally playing through the entire like two weeks in his head yeah, yeah it's all <laughs> clicking into place Yeah, it's brilliant acting Whoa. And a rare Whoa. shot of the little wobble, <laughs> little wobble. But oh, yeah, bear in mind, yeah. the fake ceiling that they had a... to have made, otherwise you'd have just seen the studio. So it's a... such a perfect sitcom ending as well. It's, I mean, that's a perfect episode of a sitcom. Like, oh, very quickly, very quickly, something that I. Notice on the DVD version of this episode, if you watch it on a laptop, you can see the titles disappear right at the top of the screen. Yeah, it's like there's a little, uh, there's a few lines which you wouldn't have seen at the time on a CRT TV where the the caption roller doesn't quite hit the top. <laughs> I can you can see, you can see uh, all the credits disappear just before they get to the top of the screen. I can confirm that on the Blu-ray version, it does that with some of them and not all. Ooh. Just yeah, just the red ones. Of, like some of them blink out, some yeah. of them wipe out. Yeah. Wipe out. Wipe out. Thank God they got rid of the PJP sting. <laughs> For those of you watching on DVD or a rip of the DVD, you now have a bonus twenty seconds of a static shot of Starbug in the snow. Oh yeah, that was such a weird place to put the bloody Easter egg. <laughs> well it, it was, was necessary for the it was necessary. Yeah. yeah. Due to BBFC rules, which I think applied, at the, I think might still apply, but they definitely applied at the time of the DVDs coming out. Once a work has been classified once, it can't be reclassified again in the same form. Uh, so when Series 3 was brought out on DVD, they didn't have a 12 certificate for videos. Uh, when it was brought out on VHS, they didn't have a 12 certificate for videos. Right. Only in, only in the cinema. So the options were PG, 15 or 18. Mm-hmm. So, due to the conversations in Marooned about this losing his virginity at 12, it was classified as a 15 because it's not PG. Um, however, it's clearly not a 15 by today's standards. Yeah. Uh, so, in order to get the DVD down to a 12 rather than a 15, uh, they had to resubmit it to the BBFC. And in order to get it reclassified, they had to make a, a substantial change to the programme. So they added, <laughs> yeah. they added 30 seconds of a model shot right at the end, so that this was. I think they called it Marooned Extended when they submitted it, which caused us all to shit ourselves. <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> yeah, and Ellard had to explain the entire um, yeah. conceit. Yeah, 
Um, oh wow! I, I I I never I never spotted that. I didn't so well, that was, yeah. If like, you look at your VHSs, there's only one 15 release, and that is um, series yeah. three byte one. Yeah. Other yeah. than other than the smeg ups and the smeg outs, uh, yeah, very the true. Swearing, but then that was um, pre-12 standards. as well. Yeah, I think 12 might have existed at that point, but their uh, their ruling on obscured swearing has changed over the years. Ah. So you can get away with. It definitely existed swearing. by series six because series six bite one and series eight bite uh, series seven yeah. bite one are both twelve. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so they did that. They did that for the DVD release in uh, what two thousand and three? That would have been. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and then the Blu-ray set that was released in twenty nineteen, uh, they'd forgotten about that and just submitted the standard version of Marooned without that change, and therefore the entire box set was a fifteen when it could have been a twelve. Oh, weird. Oh, okay. <laughs> Very weird. I mean, it would be a problem if anyone gave a shit about ratings on video. Yeah, I mean, these you know, days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, yeah, fascinating. Well, it's a bit, it is a bit weird. Like, it was the one concession, the one concession they made to, like, quite a strict as broadcast policy that um, yeah. seemed to be coming mainly from um, Andrew um, to the point where they had the the broadcast version of backwards which had the weird pjp sting which the vhs versions didn't have and Mm. uh they reinstated the word weeks to the intro of polymorph oh yeah the vhs the vhs said this red dwarf as opposed to this week's red dwarf very good and there was definitely another one i think maybe tongue-tied was slightly different uh the vhs had a caption uh with parallel universe uh episode title yeah so the dvd had it really inconsequential things but it was like a consistent we are getting the original tapes that were broadcast and putting them on dvd until marooned where it's like yeah but we also want to be able to sell this to a few more people yeah. <laughs> it's strange but um but it's it's, it's <laughs> a change that has no effect whatsoever yeah very true because it's like it's after the, ep- the episode finishes that it goes to black for a few seconds and then this thing comes up it it kind of feels like an accident if you don't know why it's there yeah yeah like they they did they forgot to say. I mean, may, maybe that is what the, maybe there was a a decision. It was just like, ah, oh, we could use this this weird version, but it does feel a bit strange when you're watching the series as a whole. So uh, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you're assuming that any thought was put into uh, uh, true. consistent <laughs> things. I mean, there was clearly it. hours of work put into you know the attempt to do the res- restoration. It's not mm. it's not terrible from what I can see, but yeah, you're right. Like as a wider package, there wasn't a an auteur at the head of it like there was with the DVDs. An auteur that actually, spent, you know, cares about... They spent hours making all those episodes look as lovely as possible and then accidentally released nine of them in completely unwatchable form. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Still pissed off about that. <laughs> Over a year ago. Hopefully the and 4K... Yeah, like you say, all these, all these little changes are completely inconsequential and meaningless. And yet I could list them all off the top of my head without thinking. Yeah. <laughs> And there's like far more important things in life that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, things like this were so not important, but do you know what I mean? Like you know, when when you first when when you first realise, oh oh shit, they're putting out 
broadcast versions of the episodes and it's completely meaningless in a wider state of thing, but I'm incredibly excited by this detail because this you know this detail says so much about the process of you know what they're going through putting this stuff on DVDs it, you know it feels important and exciting and you share it with other people on your yeah. website um, and so it just sticks in your head because it, <laughs> when you found out about it it was inordinately it was kind exciting. of a, a statement of intent really wasn't it yeah it was, it was like, yeah don't worry we know what we know what the funds want yeah this is as if like, series one and two wasn't like enough um it actually yeah. i mean probably in andrew's eyes series one and two probably wasn't enough of a statement than he wanted it to be because you can see how hence, things were brought forward hence body snatcher yeah hence yeah. body snatcher and hence the bigger documentaries and things but um man like there's <laughs> there's a lot to be said for how lucky as a fan base we are for those dvds holy mm-hmm. shit Anyway, yeah. I think what we're supposed to do uh, when we come to the end of a series is to chat about it a bit in general, uh, which we did uh, during the episode as well. Yeah. Uh, because it's. Uh, but yeah, series three, weird atmospheres is something that we've always said about it. It's like it feels totally unique, which every series does to some extent uh, if you're looking hard enough. But just the, the so it's something to do with. The tape stock, or like the quality of the tapes, or the quality of the cameras, yeah. mm. uh, just gives it a, this slightly grainy, slightly distant, sort of murky feel yeah. to it. And four is like the Com- it's exactly the same, but it's just like someone's wiped the camera lenses. Yeah, the same aesthetic, but <laughs> yeah. just suddenly really crisp and detailed, and, and looking as it's presumably supposed to. And yeah, so yeah, series three is always this kind of halfway house where, on the surface of it, it's the new. Yeah. new and improved red dwarf but it's still being made in the same way and in the same place as the original two series so it's kind of like yeah it's a halfway step between two completely different but shows it, i almost feel like it's it's kind of it's kind of red dwarfs young onesie series like it because young young ones in my in my mind always feel feels like this chaotic force of nature rather than an organized TV program, if you know what I mean. Mm. I, like the the reality is probably different, but like it feels like it was just a, a load of people thrown into a a studio and just kind of just doing whatever they think is cool, which is presumably true to some extent. Um, but but without kind of too much thought about the finer details and the rough edges. And that's what series three feels a bit like to me. It's like it's really just pushing in every single direction without much worry about whether that pushing. Um, um, results in something that looks a bit janky or not like doesn't matter just just push and just see where we can go and that's so exciting but they they do it with and this is true of the young ones as well is that they do it with such confidence yeah that like it almost doesn't matter if some bits are a bit shonky the fact that they're they're not acknowledging that yeah (laughs) they're just powering through and doing what they think is best and you go along with it the second best episode (laughs) of red dwarf has the absolute worst um visual effects fuck up in it <laughs> and i think that's my, maybe says it all um well look, probably not the worst but one of the worst there is a there is a high and low on that subject yes uh, <laughs> put it in the show notes which is the thing we have now uh-huh. i mean that purely the the windscreen thing was there just to serve as the the iso for the um meteor coming towards the ship that's essentially all that was for wasn't it but it was never mm. thought about thinking how are we going to have that outside of those shots i'd be really interested yeah. to hear from and you might know this ian but I, I don't you know um someone with a more special effects background is that how difficult is it in reality 
for like the people who were doing the 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 blu-ray releases to fix that or like is the fact they didn't fix it because it's just too much of a can of worms or is it just they they just didn't well yeah i wouldn't have liked it i don't think many of us would if like to encroach too far into remastered Uh, territory of trying to fix things i spoke about it a little bit in my review it's like there's times when if they clean up the sound or something like or they sharpen the picture a little bit then that's not making a fundamental change to the intentions of the program makers of the time i think if replacing a visual effect is a completely different thing because like that's not a mistake if there's a problem with like you know one of the one of the cameras in body swap i think it is or the last day has got a dirty great yellow mark down the side of the screen no one intended for that to be there (laughs) so removing that feels like that's okay but changing a special effect shot even if it's a shit one that's something that someone deliberately decided, you know, signed off on that at the time, sure. for better or worse. That should be kept uh-huh. in. In terms of how possible it is, it's yeah, it's a piece of piss. Yeah, uh, it take it's like unfair to say it's a piece of piss because it takes skill. Relatively, uh, it a takes, piece of it piss. takes yeah, yeah, it takes people with the talent to do it, yeah. but it's it's on a technical level. I mean, it's very much. Would anyone have minded effect. if they'd just kept the flat black? Of the background and and just and and just fixed up. Got the, rid of yeah. got rid of the blue. Yeah, the fringing. Blue, yeah, I yeah. I care, Listy. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I no, I am. I'm, I'm very. I'm interested because uh, yeah, that's it's, my it's, line is not drawn in the same place as yours. I do have the same like don't you know don't fuck about with the artistic vision, but I think my line might be drawn in a slightly different place to yours. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what makes that feel different uh, to like just something I think that is. is it, yeah, is it the what's and all thing? Is that the yeah? Is, is that is that where it is? Is it, is it the is it the sort of as intentionally presented rather than? And I think you have to have lines in the sand, otherwise you get into remastered territory of like, obviously that mis- that visual effects shot is a fuck up and shouldn't be there, yeah. but it's not always objective. Yeah. It's like you can look at someone, can look at a. a a model shot and say, "Oh, that's not perfect. Let's replace that one." Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, before you know uh, it, you you're cleaning up the the cat composite from um, Crichton, and like yeah. that—that's yeah. I wouldn't want that touched because that is absolutely one hundred percent part of part the of show. Uh, the the episode. And then that the I next remember, thing you know, yeah. you're pasting scutters across the top of yeah. the beginning <laughs> of the end. When they went back to the remaster, this is probably this is probably this is such a boring thing, but. When they went back to the remastered to change the maroon thing, did they just take the footage they had from the episode and apply the effect onto it, or did they find the original unkeyed version <laughs> of the fire? Because that would make the difference. Yeah. Because if you had the unkeyed version and you weren't trying to fix a fix, that would have looked better. But if they tried to fix the broken one, that would what have looked is better. Is it like in remastered, actually? It just it's, it's to put the put the uh, they had the thing where they had like starbucks you had the, you had the, like, oh, the gates open so they, and, like reveal the, the the space you could see yeah you could like, see all the cargo basically in remastered the fringing around lister was still shit still there uh, yes but it, rather than just a plain black uh, background they'd actually put in the cargo bay as mm. the problem with remastered they had, they had a shot of blue midget walking off as well as an experiment remastered. Like I would almost be interested to see that like, what would a remastered in that uh, a remastered that almost has as little respect to the original intent, uh, original vision as 
the 97 remastered but done in 2020 where the amount of talent and um, um the amount you can achieve with mm. um visual effects can be applied to just do something really crazy and interesting like i think remastered now like you could probably do a fair job of it i honestly think a fair yeah. job yeah i think you could do a fair job of it i think that like if you had a, if you had to go at it now i reckon with today's technology and today's capabilities i think you'd have a pretty good I mean, obviously, still people would still hate it because it's not what it originally was. That's the thing; you always uh, have that chasm between. As long as it's not a replacement. Who, but I think that you could you could have a marginally better. Yeah. I mean, like God, I mean, you know, you can't blame for wanting to try. It. And also, the reason why remastered it did work because it did it right to the audience that didn't have it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so that it did work for that, but you know, it does depend on the intent, I think, because yeah. uh, Doctor Who has always had uh, on its DVDs and now its Blu-ray collections alternate versions where they've gone and done basically remastered versions of the episodes they've replaced special effects they've added in you know there's a, there's a version of um i want to say day of the daleks but some of the 70s daleks ones of the daleks. In their head. but the the one uh where there's only three daleks in in the in the original episode because there was only three props available uh, and two of them were one colour and one was another, so it was always really obvious that it's the same three Daleks over and over again. <laughs> For example, <laughs> they've done a version of that where they've CG'd in shitloads of Daleks and it looks amazing, but that's that's presented on the DVD as here's an alternate version, yeah. yes. and the default is still the original. Do you know what? I'd love that. And I think if you do that for Red Dwarf, then yeah, sure. Pick, pick and as choose. As long as you're not trying to episodes. replace the original, yeah. I'm fine with it. Six of the best, but um, the episodes have <laughs> really gone through like the ringer with just just everything that everything you know, that, that you can throw at it. With today's technology, would be uh, quite a thing. If the, if the if the fan base was bigger, because <clears throat> you find once you get past a certain size of fan base. Um, you have so many creative people as part of the fan base that they do crazy shit like that, and I think Red Dwarf's fan base is maybe not quite big enough to to have that critical mass of people where you start seeing a lot of that yeah. stuff. You get some, you get fan re-edits um, and stuff, and some of those are quite impressive, and fan trailers and things. But yes, yeah, so, um, <clears throat> well, that's the thing. That's why Doctor Who can do it yeah. is because the, there's people that would be doing it anyway, <laughs> regardless off of making it was films and TV. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was our series three chat. Yeah, <laughs> series three is a weird series, but it is, it's it's good. It's probably the it's most big, interesting series. Of but the it's lot. good. <clears throat> I think the most interesting series of the lot, but not my favourite. Yeah, I'll go with that. Well, it, well, they they all have their arguments for for everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Was... I mean, we should just give up. <laughs> <laughs> So, what a brilliant way to conclude our BBC era commentaries. <laughs> it's perfectly on brand. So, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Like, in the 14 years we've been doing these, like, five more. Five and more as I think we were talking last week about there was a time when we were convinced that Red Dwarf was dead and buried. When we started the commentaries, that was that time. It's like yes. There was no way that there was going to be any more episodes of Red Dwarf ever. There was no oh, there was way no that sign, was There was no, certainly no sign of it anywhere that there was ever going to be. There was no inkling. The, the movie was the closest thing we had to an inkling of something continuing. That was it. Yeah, and I think by 2006 we'd all pretty much given up on that anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we have actually commentated on Back to Earth and Series Ten. 
already yes. as well, of course. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about what's coming next for Dwarfcasts uh, towards the end, but uh, before we do, as we've already been waffling for quite a while, let's make it official once more and go into our super-duper section. Ah, so you're a waffle, waffle man. man. Yes, we are your waffle men of honour today, and uh, we have a big old list of questions that have been submitted by our wonderful listeners and readers uh, let's start with uh, one that's been on the spreadsheet for a little while now, uh, Nikki Hutchinson, because uh, we will always have to have a, a question from Nikki. Uh, can you think of a joke or gag that Red Dwarf did better compared to another comedy show? And I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks, and I don't really have a good answer. No, for me it. neither. <laughs> Red Dwarf does its own <laughs> gags, you know. That I, mean, I think that's the point: is that the best of Red Dwarf is stuff that only Red Dwarf could do. Mm. So comparing, like even comparing it to a Hitchhikers or a Hyperdrive <laughs> or uh, whatever that uh, the recent one, uh, Avenue 5, uh, even comparing it to another sci-fi sitcom, um, Red Dwarf does things well, that only Red yeah, Dwarf Yeah, sci-fi do. is just a vehicle to do something else, usually. Character um, comedy. Yeah, exactly. So like comparing, I guess, different sci-fi shows is difficult because they're all pushing in different directions trying to do a different thing with them like you know avenue five is um political satire wrapped up in sci-fi whereas red dwarf mm. isn't <laughs> um, yeah so Hitchh- hitchhikers is social satire yeah uh, wrapped up in in comedy and so far uh but yeah i think what th- on that note the, the one thing that did come to mind is would be something like uh the moose scene in trojan where it's it's character comedy that's all based around the audience already knowing the characters and having preconceptions of them. The scene basically where Rimmer's wrestling with the moose question and then everyone comes in one by one and yeah. fucks him over. <laughs> and then like makes him look stupid in different ways. Lister does it deliberately. Crichton walks in and just tosses it off as if it's not important. It's a moose. And then uh, and then Cat comes in and gets a laugh just from entering the room. Yeah. Because you know exactly what the cat's going to do, and like he puts a little bit of a twist on it, uh, and like the timing of it makes it makes it a, a bigger laugh than it would have been. But essentially, the gag the gag is already done yeah. just by one cat of the most triumphant the moments the the show has yeah. ever had is is that. It's a difficult joke to to build up to as well because it's it's not something you like. I said you ha- it works. It can only work if you understand what they're you know you know the characters so well you can anticipate their potential reaction yeah, yeah. so like Rim, rimmer immediately goes ah i like oh here's what here's what i can get it with like here's it, like cat is the one person i can definitely get this one on yeah. and that even still falls flat so it's you know what i mean yeah but it's the fact that rather than waiting and then just saying it was a moose he interrupts the question to say, "Is he Swedish?" <laughs> and that's and that's why. Because when you think of like, there are other shows that can do that. Obviously, where you know the characters well enough. But like, I was thinking, if this was Father Ted and it was Dougal, or it was Blackadder and it was Baldrick, you know that character is going to come in and say something stupid, but you don't know what. In this case, it worked so much better because you anticipated one thing and your expectations were confounded to some extent. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know whether it's just because I personally care about these characters more than I do with any other sitcom characters, but Red Dwarf definitely does that kind of character humour better than any other show for me. Yeah. It's interesting because Red Dwarf does a lot of... Obviously, it, like like you said, it does a lot of, of jokes that 
other sitcoms can't do because they use sci-fi concepts to create the comedy. Mm. So in Skipper, basically, there's the the bit when he says, "Oh, d- uh, I, I won't tell." Like Crichton says, "I won't tell anyone," and then cut to him broadcasting across the ship. Yeah, that could only work <laughs> in Red Dwarf. That can only work in that. But yeah. it, it just it, it lands so well because it uses sci-fi as a comedy structure, and it's like, and I, yeah, it's difficult to think of that the jokes that work in Red Dwarf, because most of Red Dwarf's jokes work because of the sci-fi concept they're introducing. <laughs> yeah, certainly the best ones. Yeah, all Certainly the... <laughs> when it's firing on all cylinders and, you know, when when Rob and or Doug are at their best, it's, here's a big sci-fi idea, here's now 20 to 30 minutes of jokes that can only be mined from this particular idea, and yeah. then let's move on. Yeah, yeah. so basically yeah. <laughs> all the good Red Dwarf jokes are because Red Dwarf yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to see a scene where Basil Fawlty can get away with having a backward shit in a bush. I would pay. <laughs> release, release the rushes. <laughs> he certainly released no, in the rushes. <laughs> He's um, in the rushes. Uh, yeah. So there you go. So that's a, a question that can't really be answered because yeah, Red Dwarf is a Must special do flower. <laughs> Okay. Uh, International Debris. Uh, inspired by the Mobisodes chat, what are your thoughts on that other naughty's web obscurity of dubious canonicity, the Mr. Flibble interviews? However, we're pretty sure that they actually mean the Talkie Toaster interviews. Mm. Basically, on, on reddwarf.co.uk, during Andrew Allard's regime uh, throughout the noughties, uh, there were two interview strands um, on a semi-regular basis, Mr. Flibble and Talkie Toaster. Mr. Flibble ones were straight up interviews with the cast and crew, uh, but you know Andrew Ellard in character as Mr. Flibble, <laughs> giving them, uh, and then the Talkie Toaster ones were interviews with fictional characters. So I ignored them at the time, mm, uh, pretty so. much. It was kind of like we were so spoiled in those days. <laughs> I think it was when Andrew Ellard was working for Grant Naylor Productions. Um, so therefore, he was able to produce so much more web content than than you'd reasonably expect, and so yeah. there was always there was always like two or three updates at least on a Friday on Toss, and these Talkie Toaster ones were like me, oh yeah, that's there. I'll, I'll catch up with that at some point, uh, but it wasn't. Uh, I wasn't compelled to read them at the time. However, by coincidence, uh, with this question coming through. Uh, a couple of months ago, I did go and read them because someone had mentioned them on the forum, and I thought, oh yeah, that's that's an area that I'm not uh, sure on. And there's so much weird shit in there. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it is. It's essentially just fan fiction. Sure, it's it's Andrew writing these. But what I didn't appreciate at the time was the there's these attempts to reconcile uh, various bits of continuity and to sort of round off. And it, it is very similar to the sort of magazines. Uh, way of doing things of like the expanded universe, because like we st- we I think we said in the first of these waffle men's or like early in this in this run of of podcast that there's no such thing as an extended universe, and then every week we've found, we've uncovered <laughs> other bits that could add up. Uh, so I made some notes as I was reading them, and at some point it's going to turn into an article. But as evidenced by the fact that we're doing these dwarfcast so much <laughs> like, I don't really have time to do articles at the moment uh, so here's a sneak preview of what's coming up I'm going to 
go through some of the nice. weirder things that I found uh, in the in those Tokyo Toaster interviews and see what you make of them. Uh, so Birdman, uh, you know that shot where you just see his shoes, like Pete uh, Pete the dinosaur grabs him, scoops him up, and you just see a shot of his shoes. Yeah. He actually bit his feet clean off. That wasn't his shoes, that was his actual feet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And furthermore, Pete, uh, the sparrow, was named after Peter Beardsley. (laughs) 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 I'm not sure whether that's the the film star from the remake of Casablanca or (laughs) the 1980s and 90s footballer who likes nothing better than sitting at a wall and having a good old stare. (laughs) Uh, Ackerman was previously uh, a guard on Justice World um, and when (laughs) when the accident happened there it was him that was responsible uh, for the simulant escaping the simulant that later went on the Nicholas Ball simulant who later went on to to get in Barbara Bellini's pod that was all Ackerman's fault there's almost certainly timeline problems with that. <laughs> yeah, undoubtedly. But this is this is one of the things that made me think like, this is a, a genuine attempt to tie up yeah. elements of the Red Dwarf universe, whether they need tying up or not. <laughs> and he actually got to... I mean, apart from being a script editor later on, on, on New Red Dwarf, but he wrote the Prelude to Anarchy yeah. comic, which presumably is kind of the same energy that was going into this stuff but just later on you know he was able to actually do something fully fledged yeah which is cool whereas it had, at this time the level was along the lines of um jim reaper has a brother who uh, works as a data doctor and that's why those ah. characters look similar <laughs> okay and one of them was dropped on their head as a baby <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, the controversial thing in Series 8 about Dennis the Donut Boy, about Captain Hollister um, not being a real captain. In fact, there's a suggestion in Captain Hollister's interview that he wasn't the Donut Boy, that that was a lie, that he was the captain, but at one point he posed as the Donut Boy in order to get free donuts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is that is the one that, that that's what I'm I'm going to ship that one because I don't like <laughs> Is that your head cannon? I fucking hate the whole idea that it's not there's not a real captain takes out any authority he had at all to do that. Yeah. Uh I've got two more I think because uh, I'll save the rest for uh, for the eventual article. Um Nirvana Crane's interview uh reveals that uh, the hollow ship crew discovered space weevils who are an actual alien species according oh. according to this there are aliens in red dwarf and space weevils are genuine aliens which mm. i don't believe is canon but <laughs> how did that pass through <laughs> yeah well space weevils suggest that their origins were not on earth yeah the name suggests that so i guess technically speaking it could well be it. It's just that you don't really count, like, like, you know, you wouldn't count tiny creatures as alien creatures, would you? They're the small. They live as like lichen or or mold. Yeah, or something. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You would. It would have to be something sentient, I think. But a space weevil is surely, if it's the same as a sentient. Yeah, I mean, weevils aren't really. They are you know, sentient in a human way. What is? Well, it, it is doesn't weevil? talk or anything. But what is weevils, actually? What is weevils? What it's is weevils? It's an insect. Like, it's, it's like a beetle. Yeah, yeah Beetles yeah, exactly. are sentient. 
Yeah, I know, but I wouldn't. I, if you found a beetle on Mars, I wouldn't say, "Oh my God, it's alien beetle." Say, "Oh, they've they've got some beetles as well." <laughs> but if it was, <laughs> if it was like some beetles that uh, an Earth colony, like Earthmen, had left behind, and that they then grew on Mars, then I wouldn't say that they were alien. But if they were discovered living naturally on Mars, they're definitely aliens. Yeah, yeah. Can't see you being just because they don't speak. Is, I'm not being not, that's not, Speaking is not an evidence of life. I just think the no alien rule doesn't account for. I don't think that was ever intended to cover flora and fauna, you know? May I point you, Sir Caps, to oh, no. uh, a section of Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers, which we might be <laughs> revisiting in the next few weeks. Maybe. <laughs> where Holly uh, concludes that there is no intelligent life in the universe, not even an intelligent plant, not even a stupid plant. So okay. the the implication there is that literally nothing grows outside of Earth. Fair enough. But yeah, I would agree that if there was a plant or something, then I wouldn't necessarily think of it as an alien. But yeah, a, but an insect, yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> We've veered. <laughs> we have veered. But the thing is, is that the 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 insect couldn't be the monster of the week, could it? This, no, this, this is how I always take it. So like... you, yeah, you're saying no aliens, as in. No sci-fi, no no bug-eyed monsters. I think it's without a doubt that, like, creatures on the kind of, on the very small scale, like, insect scale, like, I don't think we could be in any doubt that they exist all over the place. It's it's the, it's the, it's the accident of evolution and, and that creates something like we've got on Earth, which is the more than likely side of things. I don't know. Like, We've veered definitely on a uh, <laughs> on a dramatic level in like in terms of the law. Then yeah. what, what the no aliens rule means is that it's not. There's no Star Trek style aliens. There's no Doctor Who style yes. aliens. Yes, we are now <laughs> we are now having a debate on the nature of life, which I don't think was. <laughs> it only took us five weeks. <laughs> so one last thing to get us just back on the talkie toaster thing. Uh, in Kill Crazes one it reveals that his real name is Oswald Blenkinsop, which is just like a gag uh, about, you know, this this guy, who, this big butch guy has a very soppy, like, Walter the Softy Stupid style name. Yeah. However, that's notable because a uh, couple of years ago for Series 11, uh, they, they did that SFX special that had a, a special Red Dwarf pull-out magazine that told, like, the complete story. In that, there was like little fact files on various characters over the years, and they stated as fact that Kill Crazy's name is Oswald Blenkinsop. And when I read that in the magazine, I was like, what the fuck? Where did that come from? Googled it, and literally the only place on the internet that had that was the Talkie Toaster interview. So someone at SFX found that, Googled Kill Crazy, and like, oh, that's a good fact, I'll put that in. So there you go. There is something that is now and, like, a fact. It's on, it's on reddwarf.co.uk, so, you know, if it's it, canon. Like, there's two citations of that now being true. So in <laughs> yeah, Wikipedia so world, that, that is now a fact. <laughs> Um, I should say as well, actually, as a kind of a side point, is that these, like the Talkie Toaster interviews and the Mr. Flibble interviews to a lesser extent, are kind of examples of weird, weird official ephemera <laughs> that that once existed and really you wouldn't m- expect them to still be archived in this way. Like mm. especially like like the everything that was posted on the official website for the last twenty years has been kept on the official website and that's just not usually how official websites work that's true a lot of leaks it's are dead. incredible 
if you yeah. go if you go and see old GNT articles oh. and you're looking for um for the if you click through to the links oh, when we record right, yes. the links are dead uh, in that they don't redirect but the, all the content is there it's just yeah. uh, it's just indexed differently now so there you go so give give giving credit to XGNT uh, Seb Patrick for <laughs> his archival efforts there no, because it'll I'm, be um it'll be Andy let's let's give Andy uh, web the credit oh of course Seb, yeah well, yeah Seb yeah deserves a little no bit. credit <laughs> uh Manny506, the 506th of the Mannies, <laughs> uh, asks, what are our favourite nuggets from the various interviews over the years? I tend to think in Ed By quotes sometimes, and I, and I just adore the various Doug Naylor podcasts that popped up in the last 10 years. That's Manny, not me. Uh, but yeah, for me, I always think of six of the best. Trousers down. <laughs> the CD that got given away with the six of the best yes. box set. I must have listened to that CD over and over again hundreds of yes. times so it was it was so rare in those days to have access to that kind of material like just on demand like obviously there was always you know interviews with creators and writers in magazines or on tv specials or whatever but to have it, have it in a piece of home media pre-dvd was really a, a very unusual example of um, at the time as well, like I can't think of any other example of of any other show doing that sort of thing at the time, especially like with just an, putting an audio CD with a, a VHS box set seems so strange, mm. and it it is predicting so many things: DVD extras and podcasts. It is a proto podcast, yeah. Yeah. Like nowadays, um, like they would they would do that, and it would be a full six of the best length discussion on each individual yeah. episode if that was a podcast these days well well, well TV shows spe- specifically HBO TV shows um, have podcasts going along with them um, every, yeah. after every episode they have an official podcast and it's actually it's an official podcast but done in an unofficial style so it feel it feels it doesn't feel like you've been marketed to it feels yeah. like like Chernobyl did it and The Witcher did it the BBC do it with their sort um, of prestige dramas they do it with Line of Duty yes of course yeah Blinders yeah um but that's i mean what, what stories came from that from that six of the best because there was there was All a lot sorts. of kind of yeah it's, it's been interesting actually is like now that um we've got the weekly quarantine commentaries from rob ed yeah. and paul rob, like ed buys a lot of the the things are coming back up again so like, there's a running gag now in the quarantine commentaries about a review that referred to Ed by like having done a fair job. <laughs> <laughs> but that always, for me, that is from six of the best because like they like Rob and Doug go through their scrapbook and read it out. <laughs> Ed by did a fair job. <laughs> um, yeah, they highlighted the the infamous. Um, was it the Daily Mirror? Uh, um, yeah. Uh, Hillary review. Kingsley, Hillary Kingsley's uh, racist review, yeah. and which which is a really terrible magazine. Don't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I believe we might have first heard about Body Snatcher during that as well. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of like as well. Dark Star being the influence comes from mm. that. Is yeah. like, did it start then or did it start before then? Did it start yeah. when we went to see Dark Star and decided to rip it off? <laughs> Yeah, right. see, I can still quote loads of it. <laughs> it was, it so, also, it was it, such a comforty. It was like a comfort blanket for like, like I would oh, put yeah. that on at night, like I would with Red Dwarf DVDs and just uh, video, uh, VHSs and just listen to it yeah. and go to sleep to it. And I still do that with podcasts to this day. Like, 
Yeah. <laughs> That's how I get to sleep. But now, but in those days, it was the same one over and over again. Yeah, yeah, but um, I could still do that as well <laughs> with <laughs> particular podcasts that I really like. Um, yeah. I think it was just unusual to have Ed by talking about that is it at that point as well. It was my entryway. Like, he into... wasn't really interviewed for anything. Yeah, yeah, and it was my entryway into. Oh yeah, Red Dwarf's a TV production. I I find all this really quite interesting. Obviously, yeah. that had wider implications for someone like Ian, <laughs> but uh, you know, my my career didn't go down that path. But um, it was like, man, I'm really interested in the in the you know the nuts and bolts of making this. I didn't kind of realise that. <laughs> And that was that was the spark for me. Between six of the best and also the making of Red Dwarf book by Joe Nazaro, yeah, those are one hundred percent the reasons that I work in TV. Yeah. Like I, I remember distinctly, like reading that book in particular, and and thinking, right, that's that's what I want to do then. <laughs> yeah, that's me sorted. That's that. That's that done. <laughs> <laughs> Settled. It's the easiest that. But it's those kind of it, it, it. There's a there's a one for the League of Gentlemen that's Paul Jackson interviewing the League of Gentlemen, and that's like an hour and a bit. I think it's a special on the on the Christmas edition of uh, League of Gentlemen. Yeah, and it's just one of the best interviews ever because it's just them talking about the sort of embryo of the show, and it's the same thing. It's the same format. You know what I mean? It's just like like a roundtable discussion. I just wish that we'd had Rob, Paul, Ed, and Doug talking about Red Dwarf in the way that they are doing for the commentaries at the moment. It's, it's a shame it's not. It's not going that way. Like, but... like yeah. so many moments in history, I wish Rob and Doug liked each other. Yeah. <laughs> I think with the closest we've got is the the handful of uh, Rob and Doug commentaries that are on the Body Snatcher collection, which yeah. is like it, it's great. Bad. They seem to be getting on fine on the ones that they're on together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think for me the commentaries, as well as the interviews. Uh, it's commentaries and interviews are kind of there's a lot of crossover between them in terms of their appeal um, mm-hmm. and yeah those any any Doug, Doug commentary on the DVDs is is rare and it's it's a lot more rare than it should have been but it's great well we, we you know as, as a fan base like we, you know we shouted loud enough and you know got some commentaries from him and I, I you know you get the impression from the time that he did those because people were shouting about it and wanted him to do yeah. it but then he it just kind of stopped I, I think the interview format is kind of how he likes to to get his information and um gripes across to everyone yeah i mean something <laughs> that can more easily be edited uh on a production uh, where he is the executive producer i would yeah. definitely suggest it yeah. appeals if, to doug if we're being unkind the documentaries as well on the thing are, are kind of like that as well obviously they're the they're the you know, Doug is much more of a present face yeah. on those documentaries than anywhere else. And you'd have to say that you know the Doug interview in We're Smegged would classify as an all-time great interview because of how mm. much depth they're in it. And uh, Dwarfing USA as well. And uh, we, we've kind yes. of veered into favourite DVD extras rather than interviews, but these are extras that are made up of interviews. <laughs> yeah. So Doug and Robert Llewellyn in Dwarfing USA are both just superbly candid and... Uh, and so was everyone else. Yeah. I mean, Craig was Craig's incredibly candid about it. Well, know? he didn't have any skin in the game, really. It was like he yeah. he no, wasn't involved in the project, so he can slag it, it off. It yeah, yeah. biting the hands so. that f- that feeds him, I guess. Like, and and GMP allowing like an interview like that that doesn't paint them in a particularly great like, or doesn't paint them in a perfect light. If, mm. you know, if you know what I mean, it's like a it's an iffy part of the history of the company and of the show. Um, 
but it's still presented quite warts and all, which um, will always make for an interesting kind of collection of interviews. And it's, I'm still impressed that you know we that we kind of got that level of detail on it, really. Yeah. Um, one last question, I think, uh, for this edition of Waffleman. Uh, let's skip ahead slightly because it's one that we've sort of touched upon a little bit already and ties into the last one. Uh, this one is from Stillian and Aladdin. Um, asking what have your highlights been so far from the Zoom quarantine commentaries uh, and yeah they have been just brilliant it's one for you I'm still catching up with them I know yeah <laughs> Caps yeah. is behind on them having not uh, having not been able I, to join every week I've delayed myself because I listened to the first few and then I was messaging uh, I was messaging the lads and I said these are these are brilliant there's so many like little bits of information so I'm now I've now committed myself to going back from the beginning and writing a spreadsheet of all of the <laughs> little bits of tossed away information that they just mention you just like hang on wait what did you say yeah. like what yeah. was what was the exact budget of series one again Three hundred fifty thousand. okay <laughs> you know so there probably probably will be an article in like all of the cool bits of information that they've uh, but i don't actually know most of the things they've said at this point yeah i, I don't know how much of this is actually true but because rob grant said it i can't think of any reason for it not to be but he was asked like why why the why was red dwarf the name of the show because that's not something that's really been asked other mm. than the fact that you know but he said that he's, one thing he did say is that he said that he liked the idea of R&D being the name of the title of the show being Rob and Doug yeah. and R.D. being like that's why it was Red Dwarf because yeah. it was a but I don't know how much of that is like a backronym but I like that idea because that is, that is such a that is such a a really simple thing and yet I don't think anyone's really ever thought about it mm. the, the, so that's one of the ones I have seen and what I, re- I really love about that particular story is he then goes on to say well a red dwarf is a star that doesn't, uh, that's never quite bright enough to reach the heights of um, other stars but they, li- it, but it lives forever it li- they, they live for, for a much longer time yeah. before they burn yeah. out and he said that f- um, it felt like a good omen for the show, and and that's what kind now, of played out. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's still it's going. <laughs> it's never yeah. going to be the biggest sci-fi show or the biggest comedy, although it came yep. close at one point. But it's still going. Yeah, it'll never be, never be at sun, but it'll never be. Yeah, it's a candle that burns and... twice as bright, led twice as longest. <laughs> <laughs> something, something. That's a quote from Dark Star, isn't it? The, the Red Dwarf's um, inspiration. <laughs> um, I for these commentaries, I think looking back at them now, uh, it was tricky because for the first few, I was kind of involved a little bit in helping set things up, um, and my partner Joe was involved in sort of the logistics of making it work with the mailing list and everything. So it was kind. We were a bit too close to it at the time to look at it critically but we stepped back after a few weeks because we weren't needed anymore and now we just watch them with everyone else which is brilliant um but looking back at it waiting for god uh seemed to be a bit of a turning point you know how you get with podcasts where like once they first look it's a great podcast first launches it's usually finding its feet a little bit and then there's often an episode where you go ah that's it that's where it's clicked and for me waiting for god was the one uh, it was one. It was um, Chris Barry was on it as a guest, and I think that was like the first. I think that was the first guest that they had. Uh, I think it was. And yeah. since then, there's been there's been guests on virtually all of them, and they've all been brilliant people. Um, but also things went wrong in it. <laughs> um, like Rob forgot to hit record at the start, 
and realised sort of halfway through the commentary that we the start wasn't being recorded, and so we they had to contrive a version where they went back and re-recorded a bit of it, and so uh, the the edited version that's on YouTube is sort of cobbled together from the original take and <laughs> and a sort of remounted first bit, but because things kept going wrong and there were fuck ups, like they relaxed a little bit, uh, and. Paul Jackson played up to his comedy persona of being the angry producer. That was when the running <laughs> gag of him snapping pencils first came along. He was sat there with literally a full box of pencils that got Because <laughs> like, it had been vaguely mentioned the week before that it was a thing that he would snap a pencil in the gallery when he was upset. And so as prep for a gag, he'd bought in a fuckload of pencils <laughs> and then just like, had genuine cause over the course of this one episode to snap all the pencils. <laughs> and from that point on they that seemed to be okay that's the that's the new thing we like they found their comedy feet they've got their patter yeah. yeah yeah and then they did you know just things like the, the first lockdown theater that they did uh which was brilliant as well and a whole whole different thing lockdown theater in case anyone doesn't know is um they're doing the third of these uh, by the time you listen to this they'll have just done <laughs> waiting for godot with michael palin and robert Lindsay and joanna Ludwig. as you which, do you know for fuck's sake <laughs> what the hell is going on here uh, <laughs> but the first one of those they did ruby wax was one of the cast members um and it's it's them doing table reads of of comedy scripts on zoom uh, with a cast of genuine stars uh, ruby wax was one of the actors in it and during it she got a phone call uh, a skype call was it a Skype call or a phone call? One of the two. I think it was a Skype call. From um, a guy called Patrick at ITV who just phoned up to check something or other. Uh, but she'd accidentally, like, we could hear absolutely everything in the middle of this drama. And really the, loud. <laughs> Hi, it's Patrick from ITV. I'm just phoning up. And then just, like, panic. And Ed, like, Ed <laughs> muting his mic and shouting in the house to get it turned up. And, and then that then became a running joke where the following week, uh, Chris Barry turned up in character as Patrick from ITV. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it certainly got it's, it's now got its own little mini universe yeah. going on now. There are now in jokes where if you weren't there for that, like if you weren't there, it's like sort of Daryl Brian shows. If you weren't there, you won't know. Very much a reason to join in because it's 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 well worth doing if you can. And you can, of course, catch up on YouTube as well for anyone that can't make it live on exactly. Sundays. The archives yeah. there. Uh, the only Thank one that God. they've done that's not there is the original uh, version of Crichton because, again, that was fucked up by technical problems. Zoom basically went down <laughs> uh, globally, yeah. and uh, and so they couldn't do that very well, so they remounted it and did it again. I mean, God bless them for, for doing that because they didn't have to. They could have just gone, let's fuck that one off and, 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 and skip it and go on the next one. Yeah, but they actually went through and actually made the effort to to remount and redo whenever it they they care like Rob in particular genuinely really cares about this. <laughs> he cares so yeah. much about making things as as good as they can be, and like we're being treated so well, it's like such a treat to yeah. after all this time just to so that it's normal now that you know hundreds of us can sit on a Zoom call with fucking Rob Grant and Paul Jackson and head by every Sunday and take it for granted and actually interact. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. but like not just pre-recorded, they, not just watching them private. They can totally see what we're doing. They they go through the chat logs after each episode because obviously the chat zooms by during it. But they go through the logs afterwards, and anything that they any interesting points that they missed, they'll then pick up the following week. And like it's sort yeah. of like a a wrap up at the start of each episode wraps up the previous episode, and then they move on to the new stuff. And like it's very well 
put together like it's so slick now i mean yeah. the whole process like we're obviously to start with everyone was just like can you hear me yep cool everything's fine da, da, da. and then just now we're getting to the point where now we can now rob's like sharing videos mm-hmm. and being able to do like really sort of crazy technical stuff like he's now got all this kind of this setup and he knows how to t- like introduce people and wait for them to enter the call and he's yeah. got it all kind of like he's got it all down pat and it's just it just it is so slick now and if it does fuck up, it's just fun. Yeah. It's just because because it's just part of the, you know, because stuff goes wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all it doesn't it matter. <clears throat> and it's yeah. remarkable to think, like, <laughs> like I said, we were, I was kind of by accident there at the conception of it. Rob basically had the idea on, like, the Tuesday or Wednesday of one week that it might be a good idea to do this during lockdown. And then we, it was up and running on Sunday. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they've done the first one within a couple of days of the idea happening and then it's just it's just taken off from there i mean obviously it started with the, the when they did it at dj and thought yes. actually we really enjoyed doing that let's do some more yeah and like we'll, we'll do it while everyone's in lockdown because it's, it's a good time to get everyone together right how fucking spoil are, are the are red dwarf fans to have this amount of visibility on on like even forgetting Paul and Ed for a minute, like Rob Grant weekly talking about Red Dwarf to fans is an unbelievable thing. There was a good 20 odd years there where he he, He didn't didn't hear a He basically didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Other than the brief snatches, like as we've already discussed, Six of the Best and Body Snatcher, he'd just pop up on these things every now and then and like comedy connections he popped up on. But other than uh, that, yeah, was that conspicuous was by his absence for so so long. Like basically between yeah. Body Snatcher and um, Dimension Jump Twenty, he was yeah. not even remotely connected to Red Dwarf. Yeah. And this is the thing that Comedy Connections is the first time you kind of see Rob Grant talking about Red Dwarf in any context for a long time, and it's in a really negative light. Mm. And it just it just it was a bit of a shame to be that to be the last thing you heard Rob talk about for a long time. Yeah, and then it slowly just. You know, and, and and then for the next thing to happen would be like said, Dimension Twenty, and it's like, and then we just get like from which was know. a watershed, wasn't it? It's just yeah. from that point, he's obviously he's obviously had a had a moment of realization about maybe his own worth within yeah. Red Dwarf in the wider community, and um and thought, um yeah, I like this. Yeah. Um, this is this is a good you know the, the, you know, because um, I I mean a long time ago. A long time ago, I did a very brief interview with Rob, mm. um, and um, um, uh, there were some questions about, you know, what do you think about series seven and eight? Because I was a cunt, <laughs> but there was one about would you would you come along to DJ? And he said, oh yeah, you know, why not? We're all you know, we're all interested in the same thing, aren't we? Something like that, and uh, I. I I kind of get the impression, I think there were some other answers as well, I kind of get the impression that he kind of felt like, oh, no one's really bothered about hearing from me. Mm. You know? Like, it's a similar thing to what Doug has, but maybe, you know, slightly different. And he's just realised that everyone does care. What, uh, you know? Yeah, that, the reaction that the the three of them in particular got at that DJ, I don't think... Like, yeah, he, it, mu- it must have felt nice. <laughs> it, yeah. it must have felt very nice. Maybe that the break that... Uh, Rob had has forced him to is is enabled him to reassess it as well because you get the impression watching the commentaries that he he now has been so far removed from it and it was so long ago that he's watching the episodes and surprising 
himself. Like there's bits that yeah. he hadn't he'd forgotten all about, and like, oh, that was really good. Like he he mm. talks so enthusiastically about his own work. He's like he's become a fan of Red Dwarf in the intervening time. There's so, so he, much separation. Yeah, so he point, goes through yeah. and goes, oh, that's a great gag. That's a brilliant gag. That is, but not. <laughs> it never comes across as big-headed or anything. It no. comes across as him genuinely being surprised at how good his work was. Well, yeah, at this point, you're basically a different person, an entirely different person to, to you know, your young your version. So he's basically, like, appreciating the work of, of a different person yeah, at this point a, in his mind. something wrong. Yeah. yeah. Bless them. So that wraps <laughs> up uh, our discussion on much better uh, Red Dwarf audio products that you can get on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we're not we're not recording podcasts on a five pound Amazon um, microphone that was like the size of a two pence coin stacked up on books anymore. So we've moved. We have moved on since. We thought um, we thought we were the back. bollocks with that microphone. We thought that, uh, we've got some proper equipment here. We're not just fucking. Yeah, it's fucking omnidirectional, mate. <laughs> yes, mate. It records all the noise in the room. <laughs> um, yeah, what was it? Um, we. I mean, I think me and Seb fucking spunk thanks for the memory for like the first commentary i think Maybe yeah. it was either that or um uh damage jump can't remember uh thanks for the memory was the first one released thanks for the memory one uh, of the best episodes yeah and the, <laughs> i think dimension jump might have been the second so yeah good yeah. one <laughs> There's there's an unspoken there's an unspoken thing there's an elephant in the room i think uh, which is the specter of should we redo some of the commentaries that we that were from quite a while ago? But I guess we that's for another. It's discussion. a possibility. It's some, <laughs> it's something that we might we might end up doing at one point because why not? It's been so long. However, Can... we do have uh, more immediate plans in the more immediately future. Yeah. Uh, for anyone that doesn't already know uh, from having read it on uh, GNT or listened to last week's podcast, next week we are going to be doing the first instalment of the Dwarfcast Book Club. Uh, we'll be doing this every two weeks uh, from now on. We're going to be recording the first episode of that on the 4th or 5th of July. Uh, so you've got until then to uh, reread the first part of Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers, uh, which is called Your Own Death and How to Cope with It. It's 94 pages long, so you should have time to squeeze it in. Uh, read that and leave us any comments that you'd like us to include in the podcast, because obviously we'd love to uh, have other opinions other than ours in these uh we're especially interested by the way if there's anyone out there that hasn't read them before because i imagine for the majority of gnt readers this will be a revisit but if it's your first time reading the novels then a you're in for a treat and b we'd love to hear from you uh so if you have any comments any reviews any observations uh then head over to ganymede.tv and there's a post on there called introducing the Dwarfcast book club uh, which will also be in the show notes for this podcast uh leave your comments there uh and then the first of those uh, book club podcasts will be along in about a week's time. But until then, uh, you can, of course, find us on social media. Twitter handle is Ganymede Heighton. Okay. So this should give you an idea of the kind of person we're working okay. with. Okay. Do please leave us a review on iTunes if you like us. Uh, then that would be nice because hardly anyone has left us a nice review on iTunes ever. And we've been going for 16 <laughs> years now. 14 years. Our average is creeping up. It's fine. Uh, no so, new ones this week, though. So, so book your fucking ideas on, at people. for fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, but if you don't like us, uh, just keep quiet and, and probably stop listening. Just, just fuck off. <laughs> uh, that's, that that's said... The spirit of old. That said, thanks so much for listening. It's been great to have you with us. 
Uh, stay safe, everyone, and until next time. Ed bye, everybody. Ed bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.